Welcome to College Unbound, the weekly podcast by Focus Collegiate, dedicated to diverse learning in the college environment. Thanks for joining us. This is Jane Taylor here with Focus Collegiate founder Grant Liebersberger. In our last podcast, we discussed the importance of college prep and how the Focus Collegiate Summer Cohort meets the needs of incoming students. In that conversation, I was struck by something that you said regarding a student's understanding of their learning profile. I'd mistakenly assumed that students already know how they learn. Even though the accommodations and IEPs students enjoy in high school are based on a diagnosis, many students don't know what that is. How many students don't know their profile, Grant? It's more than you would think. Uh, And what's more true is that students understand snippets of their learning profile. They They may know they have attentionality issues or ADHD as a result of the fact that they've been prescribed certain medications, psychostimulant medication, in order to help with the learning component of that. They may understand that uh, they have different organizational weaknesses, but don't understand the full scope of how all these things interact and create a unique learning profile for themselves Mm -hmm. and how sometimes it doesn't jive with traditional uh, education and or learning and cognition methods. And so for students who have been through more traditional education, and that means public schools, Uh, that means that generally students have been exposed to more traditional learning methods with adjunct supports in their resource room or working with a special education teacher, but a student understanding the entire scope of their, of how cognition works in their brain is not necessarily a mandate. If you read through an entire IEP, it's long on strategy and short on explanation. Uh, So Mm -hmm. because oftentimes the explanation happens in the neuropsychological profile and evaluation. And sometimes practitioners have been reluctant to share that with the student for a variety of reasons, student engagement, uh, student not feeling good about themselves as a result of the evaluation. If you read through a lot of literature, you'll see the pros and cons of exposing someone to their own IQ. Mm. And so a lot of this has oftentimes been taken delicately with the student as well in homage to their own ability to self-assess and what the what the strengths and maybe weaknesses of presenting such a thing to the student is. I'm assuming there's no big reveal like, surprise, you have ADHD. How does Focus Collegiate staff introduce a student to the vagaries, the uniqueness of their profile? We, we start by not talking about it, actually, <laughs> just as a strategy. We have our own assessment tools that we use in terms of executive functioning, in terms of life skills, in terms of academic strategies, what the student has been exposed to. We want to know what their general understanding is and why, if, if they do understand why they do things the way that they've been, quote unquote, trained to do them. And then we look to their broader In the admissions process, we ask for psychometric information and psychological profiles. And so we're looking at the whole gamut of what a student may be dealing with in their learning profile. We try to dovetail with what they they think they know, 
what our assessments tell us and what we've learned and try to create a way in which is going to be the most valuable for the student to understand their learning profile and what's the best way to disseminate that information knowing that students will have to be their own self-advocates once they get to campus. So if they're not armed with this information, then they're at a disadvantage when they go and, uh, and have their meetings with the accessibility service offices or when they're advocating for accommodations. There are rationales for the accommodations at the college level, but it has to be explicit in the documentation. And so that's where we connect with the student on let's know that they know what they're talking about, about their own learning profile so that they can be a good self-advocate. The reality of working with the students in their particular learning profile is the majority of our strategies are similar and we don't necessarily care how they came to a certain learning, learning profile as long as we are in agreement that the strategies that they're employing on their campus are not working at cross purposes with the teaching and learning staff or the student academic support staff or the disability service office. We just want to make sure that we're all on the same page with mm -hmm. employing things that are going to be the most helpful for the student academically. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that each student is unique. You talked about the unique learning profile. How can a standardized diagnosis be helpful? <laughs> well, it's usually not. Uh, <laughs> say, the <laughs> The level of nuance with psychometric information and psychological evaluations is sometimes, I mean, we have an adage at Focus Collegiate that people on paper aren't real people. And mm -hmm. so the usefulness of a student's learning profile on paper is probably only as good as the evaluator. And it's also a snapshot in time. So a student may have you know, two years prior had some different things going on in their life that impacted some of these scores, but yet it takes a narrative to describe what has happened in that intervening time in order to get to what we're talking about today. Some students have had been evaluated more recently. Some students have only been evaluated on the psychoeducational side of it versus the, uh, you know, having a full psychological evaluation. There are differences in these things. And we can talk about mental health as part of this at some point, but really the, the overall on paperness of a student is only as good as the evaluator and frankly, how honest and present the student was at the time of the evaluation. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say too, oh, and, and to, to probably to answer your question even better, that all of these uh, psychometric scores and diagnostics are all in all interact with each other. There's no one single diagnosis that you can typically say, ah, that's it. Uh, we've, we know how to deal with it. There's a prescription for it and we're just going to implement it largely because students are at least our students who are quite complicated at times have a lot of multiple co-occurring interactions going on. And so what might be warranted for one student that has two or three things going on might not be warranted for the student that has the fourth thing that's impacting the two to three things. A singular diagnosis is rarely helpful just in its own right. It can be descriptive, mm -hmm. but but in, if you're not understanding the broader context of the student and how they, in their own cognition and how they do quote unquote life, then your intervention is gonna be wanting. Sure. What kinds of psychometric information are you and your staff evaluating? So 
typically in the emissions process, we ask for full psychological batteries. And um, what that tends to look like is a complete analysis of the student, not only on the uh, IQ side, the what we call psychoeducational metrics, uh, the achievement, the you know, kind of standard scores in processing and working memory, uh, all the kind of subtests that come from different IQ. And it's part of the challenge too, is that some evaluators will implement some tests per their preference for that test. And so we have to be pretty nimble on how we read some of these things, even though they're all cutting towards the same goal of trying to understand the student as a learner, they may be mm -hmm. very varied. Some one practitioner may think that an, an executive functioning assessment is warranted, where another practitioner may think that an autism assessment is warranted. And then the next practitioner might think that we're going to do both of them. So we are limited in terms of what we get. But I think for the majority of our students, they've had pretty good testing. And so what we do is we obviously read the entire cover to cover for some of our students, as I mentioned before, that also includes the impact of any mental health diagnosis. There's, there's, a, there, there's a lot of learning profile that is impacted by some mood disorders, depression, you know, mild depression and anxiety. Certainly in the ADHD or ADD world, that's oftentimes there's a co-occurring mood disorder as a result. Uh, so you have to be mindful of all these things happening at once and, and how, you, how you address the entire person. Mm -hmm. Does a student's learning profile change over time? Yes and no. I think for some things, you can expect them to be pretty static uh, in terms of overall achievement and IQ, although you know, we can argue about the impact of nature, nurture, and learning and behavior and, and how things are remediated in that department. But again, most of these evaluations are a snapshot in time. So whatever was happening then may not be what's happening now. Mm -hmm. But what we can't do is just evaluate students every year because there's a practice effect of the students looking better than they are because they've practiced the same tests. And so we can only do these things every couple of years and hope we strike pay dirt on the right day uh, where the student has been fed and rested and is not dysregulated and shows up and is a presentation or a representation of their true self. The true self is something we're all looking for. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Students' learning profiles are, are dynamic on some level, but then again, there are things in the IQ realm. Th th those tend to be pretty static, kind of. But, uh, mm -hmm. but they're, they're, there's dynamic and then there's static. And that's why we have a lot of learning specialists on our team to try to tease out what's what. Yeah. Is a neuropsychological evaluation required for admission to Focus Collegiate? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, if a student comes without that, we tend to ask them to go get it, uh, go get one, even though sometimes it may take a, a long time to get an appointment. And, uh, and oftentimes these folks, you know, are these testing folks are in demand. And so finding a good one and, and being able for them to have an open space. But yeah, generally, we want to understand a student, not only in the narrative of the people who have supported them, including their parents and in their own voice, we want to see whether focused collegiate services are going to be the most appropriate for the student. What we try not to do is provide any false hope. Uh, or mm -hmm. if a student doesn't need us, we also want to be able to say, you know what, maybe you don't need something as comprehensive as this. So we try to, we try to be fair in our evaluation and 
because at the end of the day, we want to ensure not, you know, not guarantee, but ensure as much success as possible because that's core to resiliency and all the things that come downstream from a positive first semester at the college level. Mm-hmm. Who makes these evaluations? No, we have a network of neuropsychologists that t- tend to provide uh, these full battery testing. Uh, most of our students, again, have come from the special education world. Either they had it done as part of their public school or they went outside of the public school system to have to have it done because most of our students have been identified as having some kind of strength and relative weakness in certain areas. And so the reason why they're coming to us is because they are already identified in these areas and they know uh, the parents know, and maybe other advocates know, or the college counselors know that the student is going to struggle. And so this is generally a student comes to us with, with a pretty good presentation of, because they're, you know, because they're, they're graduating from high school. So hopefully they know something about their learning profile. And certainly the adults that have surrounded them probably have a pretty good sense of what works and doesn't. So we're, we're looking for the neuropsychologist to, verify what we think we already know about the student just in the most updated terms. And how does Focus Collegiate use this diagnosis, this evaluation? What we do want to do is we want to focus on what has worked in the past. And one of the challenges with um, reading some of this information is that what you're tend to looking for is the discrepancy between multiple subtests. And uh, the discrepancy in those scores tend to make the IQ less valid, but certainly will speak to what strategies are going to be the best. The most typical thing that we see with our students is differences in working memory or processing speed and verbal comprehension. So our students are articulate. They, um, they, they can carry on a conversation you wouldn't otherwise know because their verbal comprehension skills are so high that there was anything else going on in the background. But once you get to the testing and you see that there are uh, some weaknesses in the, the working memory department um, or the kind of processing speed department, and there are multiple subtests in these things, you, ha- you get a sense of, okay, well, this is what's going on. We're going to know that a student is going to look more academically capable than they might be on the organization side. And so how do we trust but verify <laughs> as the student pro- goes through their uh, college, at least the beginning of their college career, that they are interpreting their environment appropriately. And I think that's the one of the challenge with our students is that those those discrepancies in particular that I just described lead to the lead to challenges in the world of quote unquote executive function. And that's mm-hmm. where we that's where our wheelhouse is for most of our students as we start there at the executive functioning level. And then everything else is obviously collateral. We have other students who struggle with language-based learning disabilities, and there are strategies for that. Certainly reading and writing for many of our students. Uh, math for many of our students is a, can, can be a challenge. But we have to be adaptable as an organization because, again, as you said at the outset, each student learning profile is different. And it strikes me that the dynamic aspect of the learning profile is undergoing a dynamic change when a student starts in college. It's a whole different reality. And so the learning profile they had in high school is facing completely new challenges. I'm just wondering how the new challenges, the dynamic nature of the learning profile and the lack of 
testing, you said something about how you don't repeat the test annually because then people become acclimatized to giving the right answer, for example, as if there's a right answer. So how do these things work together, the drastic change from high school to college and the not having a new assessment in the new environment? Mm -hmm. The answer is that there's at the collegiate level, there's just less embedded structure. So at the at the high school level, there is you know you, there there is a day and and it's broken down into forty five minute or hour and a half increments and there's structured breaks and then there's you know and so and for some students they're just following the herd from class to class and so there's not it's not as a dynamic or it, it comes with less organizational requirements. And so what happens in the interim between high school and college is that in college, there's much less embedded structure and more of it falls on the student. And so what worked for a student when there was a lot of structure may not work for the student when it's, more, when it's less structured. And we also want our students to be able to take advantage of their own volition and follow their interests. But a lot of this new novel situation in college requires task initiation skills. It's, it, it's not like it's served up in front of you like it is in high school. And so if you want to go and participate in a club, you got to go out and get in front of people. Uh, if you do poorly on an exam, the professor may not come to you. You have to go to the professor versus in high school where the teacher might come and say, let's work through this together. And so the, the stakes are much higher at the collegiate level oftentimes, and it requires just a different skill set um, including more task initiation, more self-advocacy, um, sometimes more better organizational strategies than was required at the high school level. But when you're a high school student, you don't know what you don't know when you're landing into the college arena. So that's our point. And part of the point of our summer cohort is to experientially challenge our students in ways that they will eventually be so that they build the resiliency capacity that we need for them to be able to have a successful semester and beyond. It strikes me that developing the resonant relationship with a colleague or partner such as Focus Collegiate staff is really important at the beginning of the transition to college. Because as you say, you don't know what you don't know. Right. You don't know how you're going to respond to the unknowns. And um, wow, how important it would be to have someone at your side, essentially, facing those new challenges. Right. Which is, I think, another reason why we don't, on day one, sit down with a student and go, bam, here's your psychological testing. Let's review it. Uh, that's, <laughs> it would be a terrible strategy. So we need to have that resonant relationship with our student uh, in order to broach some of this stuff. And so we get there slowly and we get there when we understand what student is ready uh, to explore or not. For some of our students, they're, they might not even be ready to explore the learning profile. We're just working on strategies that are going to keep them afloat today because understanding their learning profile might be secondary to just doing the thing that's going to be helpful right now in the moment. And so we, you know, what we tried also to, to not do is overwhelm our students with more information than is required in the moment. As we develop our resonant relationship, we're able to identify when is a student able to hear about this concept and not push them too hard. If you, one, one danger oftentimes with our students is that uh, if they get overwhelmed, then they might isolate or they might engage in unproductive activities and then they're behind and then you have 
a double problem in that you sure. have the uh, whatever learning differences, and then you also have the headwinds of being behind. And so for many of our students, that's a recipe for failure. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is make sure that our students stay afloat and not overwhelm them with new information necessarily if it's unnecessary. We don't just do things that are strategically unnecessary just because we're checking a checkbox. We right. have to be, have to be better than that. Yeah. It's a good thing I'm on this end of the microphone and you're over there because I, I just assume that it would be beneficial for a student to know their learning profile, but that's not necessarily so. Not necessarily so. And they may know in layman's terms what that means, and maybe that's just fine. You know, we don't have yeah. to go into do a deep dive and teach our students, you know, they're not doctoral candidates in educational psychology. If they understand the practical nature of the application of all of these things, then that seems satisfactory to me, as long as, again, they're able to articulate it in their self-advocacy presentation moving forward. Because although some of these things are dynamic and most are static, being able to talk about them with other people who are there to support them just in general is leads to be an inherent strength with our students. Mm -hmm. I love the expression self-advocacy presentation because <laughs> that's a presentation each of us has to give forever. <laughs> you know, it's starting in adulthood, this is it. Right. All right. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, I think we, we, we did t touch on the, uh, the mental health aspect of it. And I think I would circle back to a little bit in that, none of us are devoid of having certain mental health stuff going on or, or, or impacts of our, of our mental health and certain areas of mental health certainly have an impact in cognition and learning. It's important to us on every level. And another reason why we employ not only learning specialists, but also social workers and psychologists and people who understand the interaction with these things to be able to address all these things, not in a vacuum because they do impact each other. And so part of our working with our students is not only in the learning and cognition environment, but also in the life skills environment and also in the executive functioning environment and in the mental health environment, because everything impacts everything else. And if, if you're not able to see how those things interact, then I think you, you your strategy might not be the one that's most warranted. So, so we spend a lot of time, many of our students as part of their learning profile is also understanding how being dysregulated because a student has anxiety impacts task initiation, we'll just say, mm -hmm. uh, hard to get started if you're anxious about something. And so, and so we spend a, a, an inordinate amount of time making sure that the student is making these valuable connections between the two and how strategies in the mental health department helps in the learning and cognition department. Self-awareness is key. It's always so informative. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. <laughs> uh, my pleasure. Thanks for doing this again, Jane.